Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. All right, Psalm 63, verse 1 to 11. Uh, Psalm 63, verse 1 to 11 is one of the great Psalms in the Word of God. Who's ever read the Psalms before? Many people. Just a great psalm in the Word of God. And I want to read it to you today. Just some wonderful thoughts out of this psalm. David is writing, and he says this, Psalm 63, verse 1 to 11. He says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you and I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the riches of food. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And on my bed I remember you, and I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, your right hand upholds me. Isn't that a great psalm? I don't know about you, but just reading that psalm gives me great encouragement. You know, David is in the desert when he is writing this psalm. Now, scholars don't know when exactly what particular part in David's life he was writing this, but the most likely scenario is when he was either hiding from Saul when King Saul was after him, or when his son Absalom was coming after him. Now, David is in the wasteland. He's in trouble. He is in a tough situation, not through his own doing, but just things that have come upon him, and he is thirsting for the Lord. He says, my throat thirsts for you. You know that phrase, earnestly I seek after you, literally means to go hard after. In other words, he's still going hard after God in the desert. So I want to speak to you today. We've been doing a series called I Will. I want to speak to you this morning on the I will in difficult situations. The I will to stay focused when you are going through a rough time. Or to put it another way, the I will to stay motivated in the desert. The I will to stay inspired when you are in a dry and difficult place. You know, church, motivation is an interesting thing. I think many times we prolong deserts in our lives because... Sometimes the desert can take the fight out of us as people. It can take the inspiration out of our hearts. It's just too hard. It's just too difficult. I'm worn out. I'm tired. I don't want to fight this thing anymore. And so we capitulate. We give up. We surrender. In the desert, our motivation wanes. It's been such a hard year. There's been so many things that I've come against and met my life. And so, you know what? I'm just in a place I just don't want to try anymore. My motivation is weary. My inspiration is only a fraction of what it used to be. The desert has taken my passion. Have you ever been in that place? Right? You know this is not where you're meant to be. 
But the desert has taken your inspiration. The desert has taken your motivation. It's taken my desire to better myself, to sharpen myself, to develop myself in, in certain areas. Think about what inspiration actually does to us, what motivation helps us to do, right? It helps us change, doesn't it? It helps us get out of our current situation. I heard this the other day. Whatever you do, always give 100% unless you're donating blood. There was one time I was motivated to become a banker, but I lost interest. That's it, I've got no more. The tank is empty. Look what Romans says, Romans 12 verse 9 to 14. It's a list. It's a list that helps, keeps us on track, right? Paul says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, Cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honour one another above yourselves, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited, right? Church, there's nothing wrong with that list, right? It's a great list, right? It's a list that actually helps keep us on track, right? We know that it is a list that is right. We should be doing these things. But can I be honest? When I'm in a desert, I don't want to share. When I'm going through a hard time, I don't want to bless. When I'm going through a difficult situation, I don't want to show compassion. Come on, who's with me today? Right? The key is in verse 11. It says, never lacking zeal. It means boiling water. It says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. It literally means to be hot. So I want to talk to you today on how to stay hot. <laughs> how to keep your hotness. Come on, who wants to be hot today? Like Ramon and Nathan with those jackets, they looked hot. What's the key to hotness? Now, when you walk out of church today, you can say to your friends, I learnt the key to hotness in church. <laughs> Maybe you're going through wilderness. What's the key to staying on track, motivated, inspired? Look what David says, right, throughout this psalm. He said, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied with the riches of foods and with singing lips my mouth would praise you. He's writing this in the desert. He's not writing this in a palace where he's got the richness of food. He's writing this in a difficult scenario. David is still hot. The desert has not waned his desire and inspiration and motivation. 
Right, we got the greatest message on the face of the earth, the message of the gospel, the good news. God has called us to live our lives motivated for him, no matter what desert we go through in life. And so I want to talk to you about that this morning. So there's a few things here that are worth looking at today when we talk about this. David says this at the beginning. He says, God, you are my God, and earnestly I seek you. You want to know the key to hotness? Number one is to seek. Everyone say to seek. To seek. Now this word, I earnestly seek you, has this idea in the original language, to seek early. To seek early. Early. You know, it's a phrase that is often used in the wisdom literature. If you read Proverbs and you read throughout Psalms, you will see that this whole idea of seeking is not just at the end of the event or when you're going through the event, but at the beginning, even before the event has started, there is a culture of seeking early and going after the things of God in your life. In other words, it is a priority to seek first. Now Jesus is talking to his disciples in the New Testament, right? And he's talking about anxiety. He's dealing with some of the anxious issues that his disciples are going to go through. And he says this in Matthew 6 verse 25 to 34. He says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink or about your body. What you wear is life not more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than what they are? Can anyone of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Has anyone experienced that? When you worry, you get an extra day? I get 26 hours in a day when I worry? No! Right? And why do you worry about clothes? Right, see how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor nor spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. Now, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown tomorrow in the fire, will he not so much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. As well, right? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough of its own trouble. That is a command. It's not a wish, wish list. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow would take care of itself. Now, the reality is, compared to us, the disciples had a lot to be anxious about. Anything about their environment versus our environment, right? Romans were after them. The Pharisees were after them. They were being persecuted for their faith. They had a lot to be worried about. Jesus cuts through all of their worries, all of the things about food and clothing, all the things that they're concerned about, and he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Why does he use the idea of seeking, Right? Why? Because the kingdom is lost and they've got to go after it, they've got to find it. He's talking about not a seeking of something that you haven't found, but it's a seeking to continually make Jesus the centre of your life, the centre of your focus and the centre of your thoughts. He is saying to them to keep your centre with Jesus Christ strong. 
You know, David made a decision. I'm not going to allow the desert to become the centre. Jesus is saying, don't you make worry the centre, right? But make God the centre of your life. Now, we understand that as Christians theologically. But let me say this. Early seeking speaks about the centre. Can I encourage you? Don't make the desert the centre of your experience. Don't make anxiety the centre of who you are. Don't make your grief and disappointment your life message and the centre of who you are as a Christian. Come on. Man, there are many Christians that I talk to in life that have gone through hell. Some of them, they've just made a decision, I will not allow that anxiety, that disappointment, that brokenness to be the centre of my existence. I made a decision that Jesus Christ, I'm speaking prophetically here today, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life and I've made a decision that He's the centre. Not my disappointment. Not my anxiety. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He goes, your, your father knows that you need all of these things. Right? So don't make clothing the centre. Don't make food the centre. Don't make your anxiety, your stress about where things come from the centre. Make Jesus Christ the centre of your life. You know? I'm going to say this. For Franco and I, a few years ago, that was a very powerful revelation. You know, growing up in ministry... Uh, in the early days, things were always a challenge, right? And uh, uh, I remember when we were first, we first went into ministry, I went from a well-paying job to a low-paying job, right? And uh, we just had Alessandra, and I, I went down to a quarter of my wage. And probably for the first few years, finances were always a challenge. And to be honest, it almost became where finances were the centre, not God was the centre. So I'd serve him and I'd do things and, you know, operate and do the things that the Lord asked me to do in serving God and ministry. But really, when I'd come home, I wasn't worried about the church. I was worried about paying the bills. And I felt the Lord challenge me years ago. Hey, Matt, you've given your life to me. Why don't you allow me to really be the center of your life, right? And not allow finance to be the center, not allow anxiety to be the center, not allow stress to be the center. Why don't you allow me to be the center of your life, right? And can I say this? Since we've made that decision... I've got to say, for some reason, we always get to the end of the year, our bills are paid, God has blessed us, and we're always moving ahead, yeah. you know. And the point is this, for us as Christians, the idea of continually seeking is not the idea that you lay it on the altar once, but on a daily basis, you're continually saying, God, I make you the centre of my life. God, I make you the centre. I'm not going to allow that anxiety to be the centre. Come on. I'm not going to allow that stress to be the centre. I'm not going to allow that desert to be this. I will not be defined by the desert. I will be defined that you are front and centre of every single part of my life. But can I encourage you over this Christmas season, no matter what you're going through, no matter what desert you're experiencing, I'm not trying to belittle or reduce the challenges that you are facing right now, but don't you allow them to be the centre. Seek him early. Make him a priority. Say, so God, today I put you once again at the centre of my existence. Amen? Yeah. The first one is to seek, right? The second one is to see. Everyone say, to see. see. David makes this powerful statement. He says, I've seen you in your sanctuary. He doesn't say, I've talked to someone who has seen you. He says, I, David, has seen you 
in your sanctuary. And I beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. What's he saying? He's saying that he has experienced God for himself. This is David's personal experience. This is not a religious mantra. This is not a set of rules that David subscribes to that is abstract from reality. This is David's reality. He says, I have seen you, right? Church, this is a powerful idea. If you haven't seen him, then this will not be reality to you. If you just come to church and you've never had an encounter with God, you will not survive the desert. Right? David is saying, in the desert experience, where there is wasteland and he is still hot for God, he's still passionate for the things of God, it has not robbed him of his motivation. He says, I've seen you, I've beheld your power even before the book of Acts, where we talk about the power of God, David saw God's power. I beheld your power and your glory. He remembers when he was in the presence of God. He remembers that encounter. He remembers that moment, that event where he met with God personally. He remembers what he felt like. He remembers what he experienced what he heard and what he saw and how God spoke to him. And in his remembrance about he himself having an impersonal encounter with God, he says, your love is better than life. He says, your love, because what I've experienced, because what I've encountered, your love is actually better than life. What you give me is far better than what this life dishes out. Life gives me a desert, your love is better than that. Life gives me disappointment, your love is better than that. Life gives me trouble, your life is better than that. It's not an idea he's pulled from someone else. It's a reality for David. He's experienced the love of God personally for himself in a very, very powerful way. He encountered the Lord and church in the desert. It was actually his inspiration. He remembers that encounter. It becomes his focus. It becomes his inspiration. It becomes the object of his desire. He remembers what actually happened in the temple. So I want to ask you today, what's your source of inspiration? What's your vision? What gets you up? What keeps you going? What keeps you inspired? Think about this. What keeps you inspired in the wilderness. Many of us have different inspirational moments, right? Many of us have different things that we draw from when we're going through a difficult scenario, right? Uh, for some of us, it's family. For some of it's our work. For some of it's, it's to earn a lot of money. Nothing wrong with those things. But let me say this. This one, God being your inspiration, is actually the one that actually makes you survive the storm. Right? Because there's nothing else that you can guarantee in life other than understanding that God will always be with you. This psalm is not so much a command or a law versus reality. This is reality for David, right? Now, the dictionary defines reality as something that exists independently of ideas concerning it. 
You know, the world has got a lot of ideas around certain things, but then when they find the reality of it, they actually change their ideas, right? Reality exists independently of ideas. Church, we just don't live in the theoretical world. We just don't live, live in the religious world. We just don't live in the theological world. We live in a world where we can have a personal, real, powerful encounter with God that actually makes us survive all the challenges and desert experiences of our life. Don't make your Christianity just another idea. You know, they've released the word of the year. I didn't even realize there was a word of the year. But they've released the word of the year. So they've had the man of the year and the woman of the year and the this of the year and the, the pizza of the year. I do follow that one, the pizza of the year. I don't care about the man or the woman of the year or the Nobel Peace Prize, but I do follow the pizza of the year. Right? They've just released the word of the year and the word of the year is the word misinformation. Misinformation. In other words, there is so much information that there is more misinformation than true information. Right? Misinformation, false information that is spread regardless of whether there is intent to be misled. And without getting into the detail of that, can I encourage you today, don't be misinformed about how much God loves you. Don't be misinformed about how much he cares for you. How he wants you to experience him for yourself. You know, we get, listen, we get misinformed about God when we get our ideas about God from other people, people and not through our own encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ ourselves. The most misinformed people on the face of the earth when it comes to Christianity are people that have never, ever had an encounter with Jesus Christ for themselves. Mate, I see it all the time. I tell you, I've been in, when I was in Adelaide, um, not that this message is kind of going down that track, but even here in Melbourne, when I've had knowledge about certain things that were about to be made public in the media when it comes to the church, and how the media have just got the church so wrong in so many areas. Now, sometimes it's the church's fault, you know, not just, I'm not talking about faith Christian church, I'm talking about the global church, right? So we, we have a responsibility globally to clean up our act, okay? Responsibility globally to take responsibility, right? But I've got to tell you, there's so much misinformation about the church that is out there. And most of it comes from people that have never, if not all of it, have come from people that have never, ever had a personal encounter with God themselves. The amount of people that I see, they get saved, walk in and go, oh my goodness, I never knew that church was like this, you know? I thought it was all stiff and starchy. I thought you guys were all weird. We're all weird. The whole world is weird. You know. The reality is, don't get your ideas from God by other people. Right? About the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God. Go to God yourself. Right? If you want to stay inspired in the wilderness, you have to have an encounter with the Lord Jesus yourself on a regular basis. If you want to last the wilderness, if you want to stay motivated and inspired, there'll come a day that the things that you go after may not come about. Well, I was hoping for those financial goals. They were my moments of inspiration. Well, what happens if stuff happens and you lose all your money? Or maybe I was hoping for a really successful family and things happen, the family's fractured. You know, 
But the Lord Jesus never leaves you, never forsakes you. Right? You, got, you and I have to have an encounter with him. Right? You understand what I'm saying this morning? That it's not just about the religious thing that we do on a Sunday. But David says, I saw you, I beheld you in your glory and your power. Mate, I've shared about this before, but the encounters that I had when I was 16 years old, in my 20s and 30s and 40s, and next year I hit my 50s. Wow, I know I don't look at thank you, the big wow. <laughs> Not an encounter that I had 30 years ago, but an encounter that I had last week. Encounter that I had two days ago of coming to God and giving him my concerns and my worries. Right? It makes you survive the desert. Right? The third one is this. It says, on my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Third one is to stick. Often the desert is the hardest time to stick. Again, this is not a psalm of commands, of must-dos. It says, I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. I love this. In the watches of the night. There's a comparison here. The watches of the night versus being under the shadow of God's protection. Both cast a shadow, but one of them is a blessing, one of them is a challenge. You know in the night, things are not often what they seem. Wrong perception, wrong analysis, wrong focus. You know, for years, we've had our bed in the same position. It's not like every week we change the position of the bed. Bed has been in the same position for years. Just the other night, I had to go to the toilet, I got up early, I came back, bang, I bumped my knee on the bed. Right? I'm not quite bumper, I'm an allowed bumper. Oh! And my beautiful, compassionate wife, I could hear her under the covers going, <laughs> giggling away. The night can keep us away. But David says, I think of you. I think of you in the watches of the night. I sing in the shadow of your wings. What's the point? That you and I are not alone at night. We are not alone in the desert. We are under his protection. We are under his governance. We are under his lordship. What keeps you motivated and inspired in the wilderness? The I will of confidence that God is in control of every single area of your life. That he is in control. I may not feel it, it may not seem like it, but in my night I am under his shadow. When it talks about the shadow of his wings, it's talking about his protection. It's talking about his umbrella. It's talking about those things that if you come under him, if he's the Lord of your life, he is in control of every single area of your life, whether you feel like it or not, whether you see it or not, God is in control of your life. Right? You know, God is in control. It's such a nebulous statement, isn't it, really? Well, God is in control. Right? But you know, David was still singing in the desert because this was a reality to him. It's a place of faith that you and I can come to. You know, you look at the singing of Paul and Silas in, in, in prison in the New Testament. They were in prison, but they were under his shadow. In the middle of the night, they were in prison, but they were under the shadow of the Most High. Acts 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. 
Suddenly there was a violent earthquake, the foundations of the prison were shaken, at once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains became loose, right? And we know the story that the jailer became saved, his family, and God did an amazing miracle, right? Think about it, in the middle of the night, for these guys to stay motivated, to stay motivated in the middle of the night and be, listen, to be inspired in the jail, when they were probably thinking they were going to die the next day, to be in jail, in chains, and to be singing hymns and psalms and songs and worshipping God, that's just a crazy idea. You don't do that in the natural if you have not had a revelation that God is actually in control of that circumstance and that situation in your life right now. If you think that everything's gone crazy, then you will not be singing. You will be freaking out. But they were singing because they had a revelation that God is in control. Right? And you look at this. You know what amazes me about this passage? Is that in the present, in the prison, in the desert place with no hope, no future, no opportunity, I want the musicians to come. The doors are open, a jailer gets saved, joy comes into his household. Who would have ever predicted that? You know what I think one of the great testimonies of our faith is that we know that God is in control is that we go through seasons and we go, who would have ever predicted that? I went through hell, I went through difficulty. But look what God has done. Look how God has blessed me. You look at the journeys that God has taken you on. Your life may not be perfect, it may be full of challenges. You look at where you are today. Had you not had the Lord, the grace of God upon your life, had you not had God's favour, where would you be today? God is in control doesn't matter what prison, doesn't matter what desert. You sit under the shadow of His wings. I pray that that is a reality to you. That because you gave your life to Jesus, He is actually in control of every single area of your life. You know, it's very hard to stay on track when you think that God is not listening, when God is not in control. I think many times we give up too quickly because we don't look at the long game. You know, in your life, God is always looking at the long game. You know, it's one of the things I've found interesting. I've seen, you know, people that I've respected over the few years, some of them, you know, haven't ended up too well now in the latter years of their life because they just gave up on God. They just said, oh, it's all too hard. I'm not going to stay motivated. I'm just going to capitulate. I'm going to give up. I'm going to walk away. And now their life is just going to add a whole new level of difficulty because they just didn't stay in the long game and remain inspired for the Holy Spirit to continually encourage them. You know, I want to pray for people this morning to say, God, I thank you that you are in control. And God, I profess in faith that you will surprise me with the outcome. That you will surprise me with the outcome. Don't put limits on your faith when it comes to the outcome. You don't know the outcome yet. You don't know what God is going to do with your pain. You don't know what God is going to do with your difficulty. You don't know what God is going to do with your disappointment because you've made a decision not to allow disappointment to be the centre, not to allow the desert to be the centre, but the Lord to be the centre. You don't know what God is going to do with your faith your passion, your commitment, you have got no idea at all. But today you're saying, God, today, even if I'm in a prison this morning, I'm sitting under the shadow of your wings. Beyond the darkness, there is your shadow. 
And I thank you, God, that you are in control of every single area of my life. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.